0: MH TV, We've got a really interesting um subject for you today. We're going to be talking about eco anxiety and mental health. So before I introduce you to our guest and we get going, um, let me throw you to Vanessa so that she can tell you how you can join in tonight because we'd love to hear from you. Vanessa?
1: Hi everyone, welcome. We've got another interesting episode tonight. So we would love you to join in. You can join in for those of you who follow us every week. You'll know that you can either join us on Twitter by following the hashtag mhtv and there you'll see the thread and the conversation ask questions there i'll be monitoring it and i can feed those questions comments into the discussion if you prefer facebook then wander over to facebook onto the unite mhna page if you like the page there you'll see the live um, live stream so follow that there again add comments do join in we like conversation we like participation so we look forward to um, to you joining in and I'll hand
0: back over to Nikki. Fantastic so let's welcome our guest Matt tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Hi Hi, everyone thank you yeah so I am a lecturer in psychology at the University of Brighton and that means I teach and I also do research and part of my teaching uh, one of my teaching topics is Eco psychology, which is about the psychology of the relationship between humans and nature and humans and the wider climate, including the climate crisis, and ecotherapy, which maybe some of the audience are aware of, which is kind of using the the principles of connectedness to nature for healing in its broadest sense, uh, including uh, in terms of mental health. And in my research, then I work on theory and research around human nature connection, human animal connections in relation to mental health, partly. Um, but also in relation to social justice, and in particular in the context of the climate crisis and the Anthropocene. Mm.
0: Okay, I can already feel somebody thinking what's Anthropocene, but we'll come back yeah, to that. Back to that. <laughs> so, so obviously we're focusing on eco-anxiety because that's what some of your work's been on very recently. So, can you tell us what what do you mean by that? What's what's that about?
2: yeah well in the way i've written about it i've just picked up on the term and it's been defined in different ways in different places so there isn't kind of an agreed definition there is a movement towards kind of scales and to use it in kind of you know, diagnosis but we're not quite there yet formally mm-hmm. but basically it's kind of worry or sadness or other difficult extreme maybe emotions mm-hmm. that are felt uh in, and often felt as distressing in relation to the climate crisis mm-hmm. Uh, and that can be in terms of anticipated um, problems. So looking to the future, what might be happening, what might yeah. be going to happen and worrying about that. And it, it also covers anxiety and related distress in terms of things that are happening already. So it might be an experience of extreme weather that's linked to climate crisis, crisis or drought or so on. So it's kind of it can fit into that real events or potential anticipated events as well. And then that emotional response to that
0: yeah, I mean, it's a lot for people to process, isn't it? In terms of, um, so I suppose when you be when you be, I trying to identify, it, you'd be looking for things like anxiety, sadness, panic attacks. How, how would it manifest in terms of what you would see in terms of symptomology?
2: Yeah, well, obviously, not obviously, but mm. the climate crisis is uh, increasingly, um, we're increasingly aware of it. So all sorts of people mm. worry about it in all sorts of ways and mm. can put it out of the way or not. Mm. But I, I guess it's when it becomes debilitating in some ways so that that mm. distress can feel like you can't go on.
0: Mm-hmm. So it might
2: be a panic attack. Uh, mm. You'll know that that might not necessarily, first of all, manifest as the reason for a panic attack, but mm. it, it could be a kind of low level or background pressure Mm -hmm. but it can come out in all sorts of symptoms that we're familiar with um including denial or defense mechanisms where one might actually say or or articulate no problem at all with the climate crisis Mm -hmm. but manifest it in other kind of defensive behaviors and they're Mm -hmm. they're kind of well known it might be you know out and out reaction formation which is where people will be critical of those who are focusing on climate crisis even because uh, they Mm -hmm. don't want to uh, deal with it but it could also be more straightforward kind of sadness or real kind of existential crisis mm. or just a sense of doom that uh, you know the mm. world's not going to go on mm. a kind of a catastrophism mm. and um, it could also be in, in a kind of a- almost a manic solution focus where we really want to try and focus on what we can do individually to try and fix this uh, so yeah all sorts of um, mm. behaviors it can be mm. Um yeah
0: I can see as well, uh, and like complications with that as well. If you're saying what you actually, you could also include um, responses to extreme weather and other types of of pressure that's caused by climate catastrophe. And because we know that's not straightforward. I mean, even COVID has shown us that something hits across a population very differently. And the most vulnerable people are the most heavily affected as they have been in COVID. And I think it's the the same in, in ecological crisis as well. Yeah. People least able to defend themselves, people with the least amount of money saved up, people in the most vulnerable housing. So yeah. it's, it's going to be a complicated issue when you bring in social justice and all those other issues as well.
2: Absolutely. Mm. Some, sometimes the climate crisis is called a double injustice because mm. those who are the least responsible to date are mm. suffering the worst effects so far. Mm. And the research that has been done um, suggests so far that those who are ex- experiencing the kind of blunt end of mm. the crisis in terms of its effects, understandably, are the most distressed. And mm. that's come not, that comes out in um, mm. mental health issues as well as mm. um, you know, material deprivation and so on. So, you know, that, that stress is there, but that's not to suggests that those who are not that close yet are not feeling grief or loss or distress in different ways it's right. just but you're absolutely right where we are in the world where we're situated mm. in the countries in which we live in terms of dealing with those for uh, the fallout of the climate crisis as well mm. it still really shapes mm. the landscape in terms of um, emotional responses individually and also how we respond collectively i think
0: mm. I think that kind of collective response is interesting as well, because it's not uniform, as we rightly say. So you'll have some people who are taking direct action, some people who are very violent towards those people, you know, some people who are are, are climate change deniers, and all that must be feeding into this kind of confusion and and, and distress.
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, my belief, kind of informed in part by psychoanalysts or adept psychologists a little bit, is that everyone is entangled in some ways in the climate crisis mm. emotionally and psychologically i mean it, it's yes. it's unprecedented on mm. a planetary scale to be aware of mm. this scale of um problem caused by one species okay not all of one species and we can argue about mm. you know different responsibilities
0: mm. but
2: in the history of the planet i mean that's just a, an existential crisis uh, it, it's a it's a really difficult situation to deal with so we all we're all Plugged into that in some way, however, differentially.
0: Mm.
2: And that means there's a cultural response and a, a kind of cultural uh, manifestation of, of, of our response to that in all sorts of ways that are often irrational or difficult to explain or, mm. or even understand.
0: Mm. It's interesting as well because you talk about it being uh, caused by one species, but also caused by species who knows they're doing it. That's yes. where it becomes bizarre, I think.
2: Yes. And that,
0: that, that kind of like knowing there's nobody who, who doesn't understand that something is different and something bad is happening so yeah. it's quite a strange topic and i can understand why that causes anxiety for people so how how prevalent is this issue because it's still quite new
2: yeah i mean how prevalent i mean there's a, a couple of large surveys so the the university of bath one which i think i mentioned in the mm. conversational article that um basis for this conversation really mm. um 2023 survey i think that was a big one so something like five six thousand respondents
0: mm.
2: and about a third of people were at least very worried um mm. there was a global survey before that maybe 2020 or 2021 of young people and children
0: mm-hmm.
2: and they found a majority it might have not been far over the half but majority uh has high levels of worry mm. sadness anxiety but also other things that they reported like um a sense of hopelessness as well as really widespread and powerlessness but mm. and also more, maybe less expected maybe not feelings right. like guilt guilt as well and anger um so yeah a kind of a, a real range of emotions emotional responses mm. but increasingly prevalent i think that's the the key from may, maybe a low base but yeah. you know for, in, it's yeah. spreading to more and more mm. people in terms of Uh, what comes with awareness i suppose
0: Mm. and it's Mm -hmm. it's pervasive isn't it as well if you think about some of the last of like big cultural things that have been happening even on television so the coronation mentioned um green issues for the first time chelsea flower show mentions green issues constantly so there is this this fact that if it was something that was you were experiencing it'd be quite hard to keep away from it because it is so frequently mentioned
2: I agree, yeah. I, I think there's still something strange about the way it's mentioned in the UK anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and that strange is something about there is a certain way we allow each other to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are other ways that still seem to be off limits. And um, so, some kind of climate crisis commentators have talked about this in the past as a, a socially generated silence or like an invisible force field where mm-hmm. in polite society there are certain things you can't talk about. I still think that applies to some extent. We don't want to undermine each other's, understandably, things like our flights going on holiday or Mm. or certain practices. Mm. And we don't want to think about it or talk about it as being uh, catastrophic, uh, Mm. climate crisis being catastrophic in our lifetime. Mm. So we joke about it or we talk about doing our bit or trying to make a difference the best we can and then we move on so i think you're right it's talked about more and i am optimistic about that it's part of the conversation for sure and on the other hand there is still as, as a psychologist i can't help but notice uh, and pick up on research that talks about this a, a kind of still a sense in which it's still not part of the narrative in some ways as well
0: mm-hmm. i wonder i mean we might not have this data yet but is it our generations talking about it differently are genders talking about it differently or is that still we don't have that data quite yet
2: I don't think so. I think that the from, from. This is off the top of my head, but from mm. what I've seen about um, climate denial, mm. the younger you are, the less likely you are to uh, engage in measures of climate denial. Mm. Uh, so, if we were being really speculative, mm. I think we're probably saying general that um, it's it, you know it, it it would be split broadly in terms of uh, generations, and the mm. same I think. Again, this is a real generalization and speculative. The Same for endorsement of climate denial in US studies, in particularly mm. older, not just older, but you could guess, yeah, white men.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. I still, every time I think about it, I always think about that. See, congressman who brought like a snowball in to show people that snow existed still, right. and so climate change can't be real. Wasn't like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure that you understand evidence.
2: <laughs> it was yeah.
0: a very, it was a really bizarre thing. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, that, there is.
1: There is something about visibility, isn't there? As well, if something's not visible, people don't feel they need to engage. I'm just reflecting because I live in York, and Mm. um, obviously, periodically we have some serious floods. And Mm. one a few years ago that was really serious, and a lot of people lost their homes, and that was really visible because you could see, you know, people's furniture on the street. You couldn't go into Mm. certain areas of York. I mean, I had to kind of wade through the streets from my house to. You know, we were completely cut off and on evacuation notice. And I think the community, which was brilliant, really came together um, to help people. And there was lots of, um, you know, lots of relief in local churches, people, you know, donating furniture, people offering strangers somewhere to live and sleep and things like that. Mm. And, um, and you know, I really reflected on it. And I think for me, it was because it was so visible. Mm. Whereas um, on the whole, climate change might not be as visible to people on a day-to-day basis so people mm. don't engage in it because they don't think it affects them
0: mm.
1: yeah
2: yeah i think that's another part of the puzzle isn't it is that in another way in which it's unprecedented i mean we uh it might have been the sadiq khan in, talking about it at the weekend um pollution in london and mm-hmm. i think he said something about about that invisibility how different pollution is now we can't see it or feel it a lot of the time i mean sometimes you can you know the mm. traffic smells but compared mm. to the smog, smog of previous generations we knew it was there mm. and yet it's deadly now maybe more so or certainly in different ways and you're right it's kind of intangible in a sense mm. yeah I, I think you're right that spreads to our it's so easy in an everyday sense to think that climate crisis couldn't really mm. you know break through and affect our daily life unless like you are in york and before that you know lots mm. of us in cornwall unless it does but even then that study was maybe it was because it was a while ago now a few years but in cornwall they did some follow-up research with the people there and afterwards hmm. those people they, they found that kind of resilience you talked about hmm. uh, and everyone was really um yeah gratified by that but yeah. in terms of the climate crisis they actually found a slight dip in terms of people being willing to believe that anything like that could happen hmm. again because they've been through it once psychologically, there was this yeah. defense mechanism that said, well, it's not going to happen again. No, no, it was a one-off. So they were actually less, slightly exactly. less likely to see it as a result of climate crisis than people who hadn't been through it.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's
2: complicated. just complicated, isn't it? We're complicated in terms of dealing with these kinds of strange threats, I think, at the best of times.
0: Yeah. Dave's got a question already. <laughs> just, just, just joining in there, love to see you, Dave. Uh, is it healthy that we are anxious? Would it be more worrying if we weren't worried?
2: Yes, that's a great question. I'm glad someone asked that because that's you know that's a, a key a key point I always try and make when I'm writing about it as well is that this isn't a maladaptive response. Mm. This isn't a kind of pathological response for me. When yeah. I say this, I'm meaning a kind of anxious response, even if in terms of as a presentation,
0: I think you've it's problematic. Heard, that? In some
2: ways, it, it really could be, and I don't want to be clear about that for yeah. the individual. Being anxious and feeling overwhelmed about the climate crisis is or should be seen as a normal and understandable mm. response and i would agree it's a starting point for taking these issues seriously individually and collectively mm. but it's a move away from denial so it's a good thing again not being lived there about mm. people for whom it, it, it's combining with other issues or it is really debilitating
0: mm. yeah yeah, it's a, it's a very strange thing. So we've, thought, we've talked a little bit about kind of what it is, <clears throat> how prevalent it is. So we're talking as well about, about its impacts. So what kind of impacts does it have on individuals? I think you might have frozen there a little bit. Can you hear yeah, me? Yeah, well, we...
2: Yeah, I'm still there. Yeah, in terms of the impacts it has on individuals, it it will kind of look like the kinds of impacts that extreme sadness or worry will look like anywhere else, I think. But it might also mean, or it could potentially at least, a kind of withdrawal from engaging with those kinds of issues around climate crisis. That's a common response in that we don't want to think about it. Uh, and we still live in a culture whereby it's made easier for us not to think about it because we don't live in a culture for the most part. I know we talked about increasing recognition, we're, but we're also living in a culture where it's at least contradictory. We're told to keep buying stuff and keep going wherever we want and that we're we're entitled to this and we're entitled to that and everything mm-hmm. we want. So there's, a, there's conflicting messages there. And I think it's very easy to retreat from engaging with the climate crisis and feeding those things into a kind of denial. And that's still, you know, I think we all do that to some extent. Mm. I'm not just uh, uh, saying that's about other people. Mm. I think that is a common reaction. We retreat and we just still find ways to retreat from that, those feelings. Uh, a kind of, Another way is to kind of throw ourselves into individual action mm. and to, to to try the best as we can to take personal responsibility Mm. Uh, sometimes I engage with that as well you know I try and do the things individually that I think matter and um, uh, and again there's already research that shows that how people can get really disillusioned with that because it's the scale of the problem is that the impacts of our individual behaviors Mm. can't be seen
0: yeah
2: with this kind of problem so we get that 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 kind of response as well but but yeah between those two kind of pillars we also get the you know, kind of usual responses from sadness and worry i think the most important thing there is whether there's an opportunity whether it's in a mental health context a clinic or or in a conversation is whether people get the opportunity to articulate these feelings as legitimate and as um mm. recognizable
0: mm yeah i could see that so how how might this manifest for for staff coming across people with this experience when when do we when do we worry when do we say this is adaptive you know worry isn't the problem at what point does it become something that maybe needs support
2: yeah well you'd be a better judge of that than i and i'm sure but I, i think it has to be a case-by-case case basis. And I think mm. in terms of the practitioner, we need to ask questions of ourselves about how ready and willing we are to mm. recognize these kinds of issues as valid responses for a start. Mm. And That has to be, well, for me anyway, mm. it has to be a starting point. Mm. Um, yeah, so we don't I, don't, I think we need to start by not underestimating the kind of uh, the extent of that experience and how distressing it can be mm-hmm. and to recognize it in ourselves as well mm-hmm. and not to see it as something that's pathological in itself necessarily so that's the, the first thing for me that's mm-hmm. important mm-hmm. that we start to have those conversations and recognize as just... after that it's the usual marker still there I mean it's not it's not helpful to say well done you know you're feeling anxious about something that you should be anxious about and off you go so then, it's about um, the kinds of distress that are feeling, whether we can help people deal with mm. something as overwhelming, some ways invisible, as we said, difficult, a wicked problem. Mm. You know, we need to think about, and we can talk about this. You know, what what, what kind of strategies could we suggest mm. within and beyond a therapeutic situation
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, for people to be able to deal with them in ways that still allow them to go on? Mm.
0: Mm. Yeah. I can see you, you've got some more questions there on WhatsApp,
1: Vanessa. Hello. I've been busy tweeting, so I've not looked at them yet. <laughs> um, get it. Um, yeah, just I've got just one here from Dave. Um, we know about the benefit of green and blue spaces and taking holidays, especially on our mental health. How do we balance the two competing issues? <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah, another tough one. I mean, we kind of need to get social policy and infrastructure involved, I think, before mm-hmm. we can resolve that issue. But for me, what are the signs? What are the movements already that people are dealing with this? Well, we, we, we've all probably heard at least vaguely of slow travel, mm-hmm. um, yeah, slow holidays now, and that's one thing. You know, one thing I see is really, up to, I'm really optimistic about where. People are being encouraged to travel by train. Yeah, yeah. It takes a lot longer to get somewhere. Hmm. And I know it's not cheap at the minute and the systems don't always work. That's why I'm saying we need infrastructure. But there's also, so there's something ecological in that. We're not flying. But there's also something um, psychological and around mental health, around getting somewhere. You know, it's the the getting there, not the destination. Also taking time to notice. Notice our environment as we travel. And spending mm. more time doing that rather than it being about where we go so yeah. you know that's one example of that where, where a balance might be and kind of repositioning how we think about uh what holiday is you know and what yeah. travels for
1: exactly. and whether you're just kind of going on a package holiday to a hotel and not engaging in the community that you're visiting or whether you're immersed yeah. yourself in the culture yeah 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 that's but nice. there are
2: some you know it's a good question some really difficult decisions to be made about what we value yeah. Uh, yeah. if we do take the climate crisis seriously, as including for those of us in relatively privileged positions, especially those of us, uh, uh, you know, what, how important are uh, uh, some things to us and, you know, how do we prioritise, you know, if yeah. if short and long term whole flights become impossible, you know, what happens then, you know, what do we, yeah. what,
0: what, yeah. Yeah, that will be interesting, won't it? And I think you can't have these decisions unless we have an open discussion. Mm.
2: Yeah. yeah, and I, and I, and I think what I've seen before, and this is what we talk to our students about in terms of when we talk about engaging with people around the climate crisis, is it's so easy to put other people's back up.
0: Mm.
2: So what you can't go in there and say you can't have a you shouldn't be having a holiday. Why are you doing that? You shouldn't be flying, you know, on holiday. Mm. When you know, the reason people go on holiday. Is is, is we we all go on a holiday is bound up in the world we live in and you know the the way the ways that we work and what's mm. available to us and the time we have and, and mm. so on and so forth so you know for me for, for most of us it's not about trying to pinpoint individual blame and responsibility it's about open conversations about what mm. you know what we want and how we get there
0: mm. i mean it's very difficult isn't it to get to a point of positive action taking from fear and shame and anxiety those things don't really lend themselves to positive empowered action which is what we really need to take as a as a group now so it's an interesting thing that you you you're pointing out there the way that we speak to each other about this is is a challenge particularly if you are feeling that people aren't hearing you or you are feeling that people aren't taking it as seriously as as you were experiencing it yeah. Yeah. so what can we do to manage sort of like a way forward with this
2: yeah, that's that, that's a really good question. I think it goes back to what we were saying earlier, in that recognizing that we're feeling these emotions to, to ourselves and with other people is a real start. I mean, that mm-hmm. I think that's only just happening culturally,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and we're seeing more. In my world, psychology and research, we're seeing much more research on how people respond emotionally psychologically to climate crisis whether whether it's in their local space or a, or anticipatory and mm. um, we're seeing much more research to try and come up with terminology for that that's why this talk is happening right because eco-anxiety is on people's register more mm. so that's a good thing in itself the conversation is beginning uh so we're articulating that and i say it's a good thing because the alternative is to pretend it's not happening to engage in those forms of denial uh, ourselves individually and collectively. So so that's a really important mm. start. But then on a kind of individual level, you know, how do we manage that? I, mm. I, I, I tend to take quite a, a political perspective on it, and, and that's not to assume. I think we should be wary of assuming mm. that we can fix this through individual behaviour change, including mm. our own behaviour change. Mm. And I think in some ways that's quite liberating because I'm not going to fix this. this on mm. my own i'm not mm. going to fix this by doing more recycling mm. or by not flying uh, on holiday i'm not going to do it by by trying to accumulate enough individual activities mm. so i need to let myself off the hook a little bit there mm. um and not over focus on those individual behavior changes but i will do them but because they feel right to me mm. but on the other hand if we're thinking about individual behavior change then what can we do then there is research that suggests this, especially with young people mm. um who might be experiencing uh, more anxiety is is how do we encourage a sense of agency.
0: Mm.
2: So individual behavior change for me is about finding ways to connect with the people about these issues mm. and to it might be protect protest, it mm. might be joining a group,
0: mm.
2: it might be pushing for collective change in other ways, but that research suggests that that, that can help create a sense of agency as well as a sense of belonging,
0: mm. a
2: sense of optimism mm. and it it mitigates that sense of individual, powerless and hopelessness as well, mm. uh, whilst still engaging with and recognising that there are problems not easily fixed. Mm.
0: Mm. I've got a, a couple of questions coming through, mm. but um, before we get to those, I'd like to just talk about some some other part of your, of your work as well, if you don't mind. So we're talking mm. about, you're talking about kind of individual experience there, and it kind of leads us on to this kind of decline in neighbourhood green space. I wondered if there's anything that you would like to sort of just foreground on that.
2: Yeah well what we haven't really talked about yet today is um, our connection to nature because we are nature so sometimes I say humans and the rest of nature but our connection to the natural world and but in a way that's the only thing we're talking about is it's that natural world that we are part of that is in crisis and um, one thing that that is re- that seems to be really important this is where the strongest evidence base is in the last 30 40 years is that having a meaningful uh, especially a kind of routine or consistent connection with nature really broadly defined is really good for our mental health um all of the things considered so what i think part and parcel of uh any kind of solution to climate crisis has to be trying to make sure facilitate a nature connection in people so that that connection uh, is there and people's mental health is better so that they right first of all they're coming from it's a tool mm. so they're coming from a stronger place they're more resilient in terms of engaging with all sorts of issues mm. um mm. also also that connection to nature is uh, evidence suggests that that's also a basis for wanting to care for protect and defend the natural environment the stronger our connection to it makes sense on an everyday level doesn't it the stronger mm. our sense of connection to the natural world the more willing we are to care for and defend it yeah. so it's really important in that sense mm. if we want to kind of create a groundswell of uh activism or care for that natural world and flip side you know the more we feel like there is no nature or nature's off at some distance or outside or away from us then the less likely we are to feel like we need to protect it or care for it. Mm. It almost becomes something externalised out there. Mm-hmm. You know, that's especially yeah. dangerous as it's increasingly under threat. So, mm. uh, yeah, mm. uh, you, know, you talked talk earlier about injustice, and again, it's one of those things whereby...
0: Yeah, you know,
2: On the whole, the poorer we are, the further we tend to, to live from a, a natural environment, you know, even a decent park um so you know that kind of access is also I would say and mental health charities are often saying this now you know it 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 should be thought of as a right to have that kind of routine regular access because Mm. at the minute that's really socially stratified
0: Mm. yeah
1: and i think some town planners and councils are starting to plan it in aren't they to to new to new um, developments to think about kind of access to green space and even things like the route to walk to a park for a parent with their children and things so it's really good that that's been looked at within the infrastructure mm. but I agree there's a massive inequality in this discussion yeah. isn't there and I think Covid kind of brought that to light didn't it when we saw people in high-rise buildings that couldn't go out yeah. and have access to that green space and then you know, others amongst us who've got a bit more privilege, who were able to mm. access nature really easily, and I think that really, for me, brought it to light. Mm, absolutely, absolutely, yeah.
2: And the lack of space yeah. in the UK, in England, yeah, the lack of space that there is that we have right to a right to access, yeah, is really is a you know that might seem like a distant issue from what we're talking about. With me, those kind of issues are all interlinked. Mm. So the fact that we don't have access to a great deal of land in the UK is, is part of that problem.
0: Yeah. Also, we've
2: been positive in COVID, you know, when everything else was stripped away, so many things we couldn't do, lots of people rediscovered yeah. just yeah. being outside as, as a wonderful thing. Yeah, um, yeah.
1: It's true and just, you know, I, I the thing that I remember the most was, you know, being able to hear birds and nature because the sounds were so amplified without all the traffic and all the other noise and, you know, pollution. Um yeah. yeah, that was it was amazing really in that sense. Um, yeah. But I think as well, just thinking about um communities, thinking about mental health hospitals and mm. you know, people who are detained under the Mental Health Act, making sure that they've got access to space, mm. you know, certainly, you know, working in prisons, which can be a very kind of grey environment you know having sort of horticultural projects that go on in prisons and just um you know I know one of the female prisons where one of the nurses does yoga outside on the grass with the women and just you know that sort of creative thinking to you know ensure that people still have that access because as you say it's so good for the mind isn't it
2: absolutely I mean the, the, the kind of work the work on nature connection really kicked off in the 1980s and Partly around stu- institutional studies, yeah. including prisons where even things like, of, you know, they compared prisons that had a view of the outside compared to those that only had a view towards yeah. the inside atrium. And it was only a measure like reduced number of sick days, but even then, a really significant difference yeah. just in terms of view of nature. And that kind of research has been reproduced over and over and yeah. over again for, you know, yeah. getting yeah. on 40, 40 years now. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got
0: a couple of uh, we're getting closer to the end again we great, um we've got a couple of comments come in so roy thank you very much for your comment, Roy. i'm saying Roy we saying i'm not sure i agree that with the assumption the older generation are in denial and the older generation did not live in the throwaway society that exists today they're very adept at recycling and reuse um another question this is a good one <laughs> get ready coming at you do health professionals have a public health duty to campaign and protest I mean, if we've all signed up to yeah. promote the public good, should we be on yeah. the lines? Um, and just another yeah. one to think about is is there something we should be doing in school given that young people are highlighting anxiety on this issue? Yeah. So one about school and particularly targeting young people, and the other yeah. one about should health professionals be handcuffing themselves to something today?
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh- yeah, well, uh, that the, that first one, uh, I didn't want to glide over the age question. No, I did say it generalisation, and of course, there yeah. are all sorts of differences. Yeah. But, um, yeah, in terms of public health, for me, what well, may, maybe this is just personal, but I'm really reluctant to tell other people what they should and shouldn't do mm. uh, in terms of activism and um, uh, kind of political statements. Because for, a, for one thing, it really depends on how safe and secure you feel in doing that. -hmm. And people's different experiences in the past uh, and their social position will really shape how they feel about that. So it's each their own. Mm -hmm. And I also think you should never tell people to do anything that you're not willing to do yourself. So I have been involved in activism, Mm -hmm. but I'm not for my own reasons, Mm -hmm. including having a family, but other Mm -hmm. people might have other reasons. I'm not willing to get myself arrested at the moment. so you know i've got my own boundaries so what how could i say that to anyone else do we have do we have a responsibility as health professionals to speak out about these issues yes i think we do i Mm. think that's a no-brainer so we need to actively do things like question climate denial Mm. uh, and Mm. we need to take responsibility for being informed about these kinds of issues so that if we're dealing with clients or students or whatever it might be Mm -hmm. we're not reproducing the problem, we are you know, being able to have those conversations. We started this this conversation with, you know, being allowing people to articulate it and coming to terms with these issues ourselves. So there's that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what I say. And um, the, the second point, what was the second point again? So Children and young my...
0: people in schools.
2: Yeah, well, this is something I've said before, but I think it's essential. I think, you know, the we should be engaging with two things. One. The reality of climate crisis and uh presented in a in a way that, that that's that's not hopeless but also a nature-based education much more mm-hmm. you know from a nature-based curriculum from an early age and you know those two things really important to me yeah mm. uh, in terms of what we could be doing at, at the level of the curriculum taking mm. classroom outdoors all sorts of things yeah
0: mm. there's two or three things you're sort of, sort of kind of coming around as a theme aren't they so one is that free and open discussion that's not turning away from the truth of the situation the seriousness of the situation but also role modeling that kind of proactivity about it Mm -hmm. because I think you're you're right the idea of just being overcome by by doom and panic is not going to really take any of us forward and I think as well the idea about exposure to the natural world being so important because you protect what you love don't you and if you don't know anything about it you don't place a value on it so I think it, it was almost like the things you're saying about how we would best uh, respond as a society just to exactly the same for children and young people which kind of makes sense yeah. to be honest I think we're coming towards the end now so um Vanessa is there anything that you wanted to to bring up or to, to touch on
1: yeah we haven't really touched much on our relationship between nature and animals and humans oh. as well so I was interested in um your thoughts around that really because I know that's one of the areas that you're you, you research and study in as well
2: yeah i i just think it's it's when we think about human connection to nature mm. it's, that can sometimes feel really abstract and uh yeah. nature is something out there or you know away for me it's a really important way of thinking through the issues when we think about our specific connections and they can be to place they can also be to animals yeah. uh And sometimes that's just about positive. So we know that, again, in COVID, companion animals have been really important to people's mental health.
1: Yeah, hugely.
2: And a real focus. But also it's around some of the the dangers and difficulties in our society. You know, when we think about where COVID might have come from, or at least lots of viruses are coming from, it's, it's because human nature or human society is really buffering up against animal spaces and habitats. And that's creating... You know all sorts of problems in terms of the spread of viruses, and um, you know industrialized ag- animal, animal agriculture is also part of the climate crisis problem. So, our connection to important but complicated part of these issues for me.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, so I can I end up with more questions than I am with answers. But I suppose that's a sign yeah. that the Conversation is useful, isn't mm. it? Yeah. Is there anything, Matt, that you wanted to 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 focus back on?
2: Um, I guess I to round it off. I guess I'd come back to um, the politics of this issue. I know I know this is about psychology, yeah. and I'm a psychologist. But the psychiatrist uh, Elizabeth Pinsky, I read something by her uh, in the U.S., and she said, you know, uh, uh, and she put it she puts it pithily. I believe the fundamental and best treatment for climate distress, drum roll, is a rapid and just transition from fossil fuels. And I like that because what it's saying is yes, we can engage, and yes, we need to make sure that kind of people try and make sure people are doing okay as health professionals or psychologists, Mm. without moving away from the fundamental point that what we really need is a social, and political, and structural change
0: Mm.
2: um, to get us out of this mess. Mm. Yeah,
0: yeah. I don't think anyone's going to top that that, finishing statement nice quote (laughs) we'll we'll definitely put that out for for you guys and for anyone who's um, been watching along we've also tweeted out links to articles and and blogs written by Matt that will really maybe help you deepen your understanding of this and if it's a topic that you want us to revisit please let us know because I think we're at the start of this topic and not, not we're near the end this is going to be a long story I think but just really thank you Vanessa for being there being brilliant um, and thank you very thank you. much you. to our special guest Matt, and to Dave, obviously as well. So thanks everybody. Thanks, Dave. Thank thanks, Jen. See All you. See you. Bye. Night. 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 Night.